You know that famous picture of, uh, of the doorway and there's Jesus on one side and uh, this guy on the other side? I think it's a guy. I don't know. Some human on the other side. And the clergy usually says, uh, where's the doorknob? And you look at it and you notice that the doorknob is on the human's side, not on Jesus' side. And the lesson is that we need to open the door to let Jesus into our life, right? Well, this sermon isn't about that. <laughs> this apparently seems to be a different door with the doorknobs on the other side, on Jesus' side, and you better hope to God that Jesus recognizes your voice and opens it up for you because it's no longer on your side. Well, anyway, that's our problem today, isn't it? Yeah, all right. May the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight. Amen. I was uh, driving to uh, work this week, zipping along on the freeway and pulled up alongside a business van. You know, those kind of vans that have panels on the side and all. And, and on that side was the, I think it was electrician, uh, the electrician's name. And then in big flowing language and nice colors, so you're sure to see it, it says, honesty is the best policy. And I thought, the best policy? How about the only policy? Do some businesses follow a policy of occasionally honest? Or something like that? Are there, are there levels of honesty policies that businesses follow? Do you learn that with your... Your MBA, do you, do you learn that there's different levels of honesty to pursue? Always honest companies. And then often honest policies for companies. And then sometimes, sometimes honest policies. Really? I wonder about people who talk to me and say, truthfully, truthfully, let me tell you. Because when I hear that, I wonder... What are the times that this person is talking to me when they're not talking truthfully? If they're making a point that I think this time is truthful. Do you know what I mean? It kind of gets me wondering. Hmm. Are there really businesses for which honesty is not the policy? And are there really people who only occasionally tell the truth? Hmm. What's our goal? What's our policy for our living life? One of the great words you learn in a seminary, if you were to go to CST in their Westwood campus, you would learn the word eschaton. It's a great word for the end times. It's a 
It's a good word to learn, and it develops into eschatology, which is your view of the end times. And, and some of us have a view, an eschatological view of the end times, where all hell breaks out, and it's, it's a disaster and everything, and then Jesus' spiritual troops win at Armageddon, and hallelujah, there we go. And some of the rest of us have a view of the eschaton as slowly over time, us good folk are carrying the day and the kingdom of God is coming and blossoming and being consummated. Two kind of versions of how the end time happens. And it's interesting. I find it interesting to me. I don't know if it is to you, but in all my years of preaching, here are these last couple sermons that I'm having. This eschaton is coming up, this eschatology, this, this end of the world. Maybe it's because it's the end of my world. I don't know, but... The end time is sneaking into these sermons, and I don't think it's because of my thoughts. I think it's because of Jesus. The last couple of weeks, the eschaton has been in view, right? We've been talking about self-deception. We've been talking about hypocrisy, and we've been saying, well, Jesus wants you not to fake it. That's the right way to be living. And then there's that extra part that says, because you're going to get it if you don't, right? The less eschatological part that says, you better do what Jesus is saying or uh, eternal life, right? That was in those sermons. That was in Jesus's message. And here it is today, sneaking into the viewfinder of our lesson from Jesus. Strive to enter the narrow door or you just might not get in at all, the scripture says. Now, truthfully, that kind of surprised me. I have always thought of this passage as the spiritual coach talking to me, talking to us, saying, come on, keep after it, work hard, strive, strive for the best, set your aspirations high, Go for the narrow door. Go for the narrow door. You can do it. You can do it. Go, go, go. I've always read this scripture that way. A rally call to do your best, to head for the narrow door. I haven't really heard it as a judge's warning. Get to it. Get after it. Succeed or else. But that's kind of there, isn't it? And that was your problem this morning. That's kind of there. And if we are biblically based, we somehow have to keep that annoying message in our consciousness and make some kind of sense of it. As I prayed about this passage this week, I realized that it really is a both and. There's a calling us to attention to the present, how we're living in a present, with an awareness of the future, that there's something larger than us going on, that has some sense of values and justice in the world and that we should be attentive to that. It's a both and, it seems, if we're really gonna listen to Jesus. We should keep that in mind. It's a both and, present and future. We look at this teaching about the narrow door today with our sermon image of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, 
Those of you who have traveled there will recognize that. This church, which is, this church is the place where Christians have worshiped the longest on the planet. This facility. And that little door is the main entrance to the church. All the modern literature about having a welcoming, inviting entrance apparently was not part of Christendom uh, back in the old days. Narrow door. It's only four feet or so high. So if you're going to enter this church of the nativity, you got to bow down to get in. Think about that. Everyone who enters bows down. It's a powerful image of reverence to the place and of discipleship to the one that the place glorifies. So our scripture today about the, the narrow door, eschaton and ethics. I think the eschatological part of this is that you should not be presumptuous about eternal life. How many people do you know that say things religious, that, that smack of religiousness, um, yet even you know that their life is a troubled life where there are many, many compromises. Life is not that easy, and we try our best, and in trying our best, we need to try that best with a sense of humility that perhaps we don't have it all right. Perhaps there are some ways in which we are lacking. And this is not to beat us up, not to say we're worms like, like they used to say in the Middle Ages, humans. A touch of reality to our sense of well-being, our sense of competence, our sense of being in control, whatever that sense is, that it doesn't become a hubris that makes us trick ourselves into thinking that we are indeed God ourselves. Are your ducks really in a row? Is your humility really not just a low-volume arrogance. Jesus is saying, these, these are Jesus' words, right? There will be a harvest of souls and a sorting. There will be a banquet. And some are getting in and some aren't. And some of the aren'ts are some that thought they were the worst for the banquet. And some didn't even pay attention. 
is the wheat? Who is the shaft? Who are the sheep? Who is he thinking are the goats? Why does he say this stuff to us? Is there a tendency for us to be goats rather than sheep, for us to be chaff rather than wheat? Is there a tendency for us not to pay enough attention to his invitations that we don't even go to his banquet when we're invited? Is there, is there a chance? Well, Jesus has turned everything upside down. And that's part of his excitement and people's frustrations with him. In the turning of everything upside down, we hope that he actually has turned things right side up. We hope and we pray. Because we notice the ways of the world might not and most likely are not the ways of God and the ways of God's kingdom. And the spiritually wise are humble and self-conscious of their claims of righteousness and holiness. People who are appearing to win it all might not actually be winning anything at all. And so Jesus says, uh, be properly cautious. And don't presume to be righteous or holy, but rather work to be righteous and holy with a good, humble spirit. And pray God's grace that you are seen in that light by the God who has that grace. I don't know what else to do with it. The narrow door with the doorknob on the wrong side. But I think these are good words to keep dear to our heart. And with that as a motivation for you, thank you, Jesus, or that as a, an attention getter for you, all right, Jesus, get to the second part of the scripture, which is a call to ethical living, the narrow door, right? And that's a common thing in Judaism and in Christianity, that there's a narrow door that leads to life eternal. There it is, and there is a wide way, a wide way, the easy way, the commonly found way, the most traveled way, all of those things people have said from pulpits over these 2,000 years that lead to dissipation of the spirit and destruction of the soul. So don't get on that wide way. Get on the narrow way to the narrow door. And you can see this in Deuteronomy. You can see it in Jeremiah. You can see it in all the prophets. If you read the epistles, you can hear Paul hitting this drum time and time and time again. And we're into John right now. And guess what John's doing? He's hitting the same drum time and time again and time again. There's a narrow door. Aim for it. Live the way of the narrow door. So what did the early church do with this, hearing Jesus talk like this? Did they get like kind of ruffled like we are? What did they think about this? What do we think about this? This being told to head for the narrow door and being told we're going to be accountable for how well we 
get to that narrow door. What kind of ears did Jesus' teaching fall upon? Well, you know, there is a great book that I don't know if you know much about, but I wish that you would. And so I'm going to tell you about it. It's called the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. It's a book from the first or maybe the early second century. It's sometimes referred to as the teachings of the apostles. It's written in Greek from the early, early church time. It's a book of the Jesus movement time. So it's really kind of exciting to read in there that they're talking about, here's how you do communion. Here's how you do baptism. And... Here's how you get to the narrow door. It's in there. It talks about prayer. It talks about the sacraments. And you get a feeling by reading this book, what's left of this book, you get a feeling that we are actually walking in the footsteps, doing the practices that the second generation after Jesus had stumbled upon and embraced as the way to nurture their faith and connect to God. I find that very exciting. Maybe you won't, but I hope you will. D-I-D-A-C-H-E. You can find it online. The first six chapters of the Didache talk about the two ways of life. One that leads to life and one that leads to death. Apparently that same motif, still running around in the early church. The first way, the way to life is this, it says. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And do not do to another what you would not want done to you. Hmm, heard that before, huh? That was a big deal in the first and second century. They had picked up on what Jesus said, and they had wrote it down, and this is what they were teaching each other. Follow this. This is the key thing to life. Those who were closest to Jesus were saying to each other, follow this. And of these sayings, the teaching is this. Then it goes on to specify those good qualities. And you've heard them in Paul, all the things of the fruits of the Spirit. Not unfamiliar references here, things that we all know about. But in our excitement as we're reading this, this is things that they are already taking to heart. These things that we have, they had. The signposts that have been put up for us all these years were already being put up on which was the way to the narrow door. And then it goes on to, well, what's the big wide way, the way that leads to death? And it mentions all these things that you know you oughtn't do, like idolatry and greed and all that kind of stuff. Similar stuff that we know now. What's exciting, what's important about the Didache is that it bears witness to the fact of Jesus' teachings. They were Jesus' teachings. And they were thought of back then as we think of them now, as the way to life. 
and were understood to set high ethical standards and that that was good. That wasn't a burden. That wasn't the tyranny of the shoulds and oughts that we have talked about in the boomer generation trying to free ourselves from things. There was an awareness in this first and second generation of the followers of Jesus that there are some shoulds and there are some oughts that we should and ought to be about in our lives. The narrow door. So in response to the narrow door, this is interesting, Jesus had some thoughts. He told a parable about a rich ruler which concluded with the observation it might be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for us humans to get ourselves through the narrow door. And the hearers called out, Ha! Yikes! Then who can be saved, Jesus? When they hear this story, that's what they do. And Jesus said, What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. And get this, at the end of chapter 6 of the Didache, for if you are able to bear the entire yoke of the Lord, you will be perfect. But if you are not able to do this, do what you are able. Hmm. Grace finds its way in. I think the writers of the Didache understood what Jesus was doing, pointing us in the right direction and walking with us to help us do it. Thanks be to God. So raise your vision and your, your self-expectations. Raise them, but know that God is here to help. God is here to help with the well-intentioned and high aspiring goals we have spiritually in our life that Jesus lays on our hearts. And thank God for God's unmerited and effective grace that will help us at least get going in that direction. Head to the narrow door and go with God's grace. Amen.